Manufacturing Hub. Vlad has been telling me that I've been messing up all of the Manufacturing Hub numbers in this. I am like 98% confident this is episode 146, but I may not officially announce it at the beginning of the podcast, so I can have at least one week in a row where I don't get it incorrect. For everyone who is new here, welcome. If you guys have been here before, welcome back. We have finally got Kai on, and we'll introduce Kai in just a minute, and he'll introduce a little bit of what he does at, at ePlan. In a nutshell, his awesome YouTube site that if you guys can, are watching live in person, you guys can see all the QR codes in, in both German and English, but we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. Today, we're going to have Kai on. We're going to talk a little bit about his background. We want to talk a little bit about 2023 trade shows. I have seen Kai twice, both times that I was in Europe at Hanover Fair and also at SPS that we just came back from. Get a little bit of the thoughts from Kai from that his European perspective. We've got Vlad and I as, as North Americans have some different perspectives. I'm going to ask some questions to Vlad about shows that, that he's been to and, and we've been to. And yeah, it'll be great. But if you guys have not been here before, we do our very best to have open conversations. So if you've been to shows, if you've done kind of any of these things or have questions, be it European shows or North American shows, please feel free to go ahead and drop those in the chat. We will do our very best to get to them live, assuming that LinkedIn gives us the ability to read comments. And if we don't get the chance to get to them live or they're super technical and on this, on ePlan, uh, if Kai doesn't know the answer or if Kai can't explain it quickly, there is a 0% chance that I as Dave will be able to go explain it. So if we don't get to them, we'll do our very best to get to them on the way back. But without further ado, everyone officially welcome to Manufacturing Hub. My name is Dave. This guy up here in the, the top right corner of your screen is Vlad. Today on episode 146, we have Kai Hennings. Uh, Kai, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on your show. I'm really happy that yeah today we have a little bit more time to talk than we had on the Hannover Messe and the SPS. This was just a quick few. We both were really in hurry uh, at this show. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy to be here on your podcast. Absolutely, Kai. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. Before we talk about SPS and I guess like more of the innovations that we saw at the show a couple of weeks ago. Could you give us a bit of a background of yourself? Ultimately, how did you get into industrial automation? What is it that you do in the industrial panel space? And ultimately explain to us a bit of your career progression. Yeah, sure. I know from another podcast that it's not typically in the US or North America that you start working with 16. I did it. I start with 16. I have no high school graduation. I never was on the university or maybe I was three times on the university because my wife was studying there. <laughs> yeah, I graduated from the middle school with 16 and the basic idea was that I want to go to the German army and I was really interested in building furniture. So I want to become a furniture uh, builder, but the German army told me, no, we need electricians. So <clears throat> my idea was to become an electrician with 16. And I started an apprenticeship as an electrician in a company which make industrial automation panel building. They have their own electrical design department and programming department, mainly with Siemens S7. Yeah, and I started there with 16 with all this basic stuff, build panels and so on. And in Germany, to become an electrician, it takes about three and a half year, the apprenticeship, and then you have to certificate for this. 
and uh, you have two exams, one in the middle and one on the end. And on the middle exam, I did the best um, exam of the class. So my boss asked me, hey, do you want to do something? You want to get some special training or how can we uh, push you? Are you interested in something? And I told them, hey, I want to make an e-plan training. So he gave me the e-plan training. I was, uh, I think, 18 during this time. I was, my feeling was that the gap between me and the next older one was 20 years, <laughs> something like this. Yeah, and from this time, I started also with electrical design with ePlan. I got all this, uh, let's say, shit work, <laughs> make macros and yeah, redlining uh, and so on. But this is the basic what you need to learn to get better later on. Yeah, and from okay, this just time... Out of, uh, so, sorry to cut you off, just out of curiosity. So up until that point, you were doing installation and assembly of panels, right? If I understand it correctly, you were not doing design until you were sent to the like e-plan class, correct? Exactly. I did the assembly, the wiring, yeah, the FAT and so on. I also pulled cable on site, helped with the commissioning, built the cable tracks and so on. Sometimes I did the O-checks, stuff like this, check the motor rotations, so the basic commissioning stuff. But from this time, I started more and more make electrical design and I could do my first project completely by myself. So I make the electrical design, I built the panel, I pulled the cable, I connect everything, I wrote the program, I made the commissioning and the yeah the, the, the most stupid work for a technical guy, the documentation. So this was the beginning of my career and then I changed a few times my job. I was in the, in the power section, so I built power plants. Um, this was huge, yeah, huge projects with several millions of automation equipment. Also there I did not only the electrical design, sometimes I also was for commissioning there for the IO check. So for the pre-commissioning, let's say, before the expert comes to site, I yeah, make basic settings on frequency drives and so on. Yeah, and then I changed couple of times my job. I was in the robotics, I was in the automotive, I was in the aerospace. Um, but then I mainly made electrical design with ePlan. I always was focusing on ePlan. I just tried once another um, uh, engineering tool, but uh, since 20 years I'm using ePlan mainly. Uh, nowadays I work for a German mid-sized company um, in the mining business, underground mining. We build hoist and complete mines worldwide. And there I'm also responsible for the electrical design and I support also the subsidiaries worldwide. And yeah, when my colleagues have questions about electrical design or specifications, standards, and so on, I'm the guy who yeah, they could talk to. And yeah, besides all of this, I have a lot of time. <laughs> so you can see on this side that, yeah, besides my real job. So many people ask, do you have a real job? Yes, I'm really an electrical designer and daily my daily work is to make control panels with ePlan. But three and a half years ago, I started with YouTube. I have a German YouTube channel, ePlan Kurz Erklärt, English channel, ePlan in a nutshell. And what we don't need to forget is that we have 1.5 billion Chinese who has no access to YouTube. So I have also one channel on Bilibili, a Chinese platform. Yeah, and this is what I do when I go home. <laughs> I'm also married. I have uh, two two childs and so on. But yeah, this is my side business. 
Yeah, and I have a Discord community now with about 2,000 users worldwide and a LinkedIn account, nothing else in social media. So if you want to follow me, you need to go to LinkedIn. Awesome. Yeah, basically, this is a rough overview of what I'm doing. Kai, if <laughs> I can uh, ask you a question. When you said you switched industries because you mentioned power plants, then manufacturing, now coal mining, is there a... I want to see like a really big differences when it comes to like panel design between those industries. And again, I'm coming in with a background of food and beverage. So I've seen fairly standard, I want to say like panels, but is there like even different codes or different ways to design those panels between the verticals that you've seen? Yeah. On the beginning of my career, I mainly did projects in Germany or maybe in uh, countries in Europe. I was, but I was really interested to work international, globally, worldwide, not only in, in Europe, because the European standards I know very well, <laughs> but uh, this is one of the, the, the challenges we have, especially nowadays, when you deliver to the US, you have different standards or Canada, it's nearly the same, but when you deliver to other countries, they have their own standards. When we talk about mining, there is also something special. When you have coal mines, you have explosion-proof equipment. You need to make sure that you yeah, have done everything right. Otherwise, you will get the big bang. This is very dangerous. But yeah, the main difference from industry to industry is maybe only the standards. When you have some specific standard in the industries that you need to follow, maybe this is the only, only real difference. And let me ask you, like, I guess a follow-up for someone who's looking to either understand like a, an industry or a certain standard a bit better. And I've certainly, again, I've not necessarily done the calculations on panels, but I've told designers, hey, I need this PLC rack. I need this much IO. And they would figure out what it would take inside of the panel to make it fit. I want to say in, in most cases, the National Electric Code in the US, which is also different between the states that you're in. But ultimately, besides just going through and reading that thick NEC book for the year that is relevant to that geography, is there a way to learn it in an easier way? Is there is it just purely mentorship, learn from someone, or is it really going through the manual and reading it page by page to understand the requirements? As you said, maybe it's explosion-proof hardware, maybe it's safety hardware. Is there a better approach? Yeah, this is a question I got frequently. So I don't know any book what I can recommend about these topics. It's, yeah, it's truly one of uh, a big time we spend on data sheets, on manuals to read about documentations. This is something what you as an electrical designer need to do. If you have some experienced guy in your team, sure, you can ask. Maybe he has already read the 1,000 pages of manual from a Siemens PLC and he knows, okay, here you have to jumper this and you have to connect this pin and this pin. But if you don't have it and you are the first one in your company, yeah, you can ask ChatGPT maybe, but <laughs> maybe not. So there is no, no other way. I don't know any other way how to learn it quicker as you need to experience. You need to realize the project. Dave, what are your thoughts? I, I find it interesting, Kai, and I was uh, laughing a little bit with your story of building ePlan in a nutshell because it is not all that different from Vlad's story and when he started Solus PLC is 
he was working and he had some time in the evenings. And so th that is where a lot of many of the, the original videos came from. So I, I think you've given us a lot of really good information. I want to dig into to a bit more of, of ePlan in a nutshell, right? So you have the German language uh, channel that I think just recently surpassed 900,000 views, which is amazing. Congratulations. You said that you, you've got the English channel, which is growing at, at a much faster rate than, than the German language channel, which I suppose makes sense because there are more people who speak English or who at least can understand English who are going on YouTube. And then you've got the, the, the Chinese, the, the Billy channel. So I, I think that's very interesting. I guess a, a couple of questions for you on that is what made you decide to turn to YouTube to make some of these trainings after working in your free time? Yeah, there is a very interesting story. So I'm also responsible in our company when we hire some new guys to train them on our procedures, not on ePlan, nothing specific, but how you apply for holiday, how you apply for a business trip, how you write down your working hours and so on, how you fill in the ERP system with data. This is also one, one thing I'm doing. And I was so boring of this to explain this every new guy that I thought, hey, why I sh don't make one video about this topic? Okay. Because when you tell someone in the first week, hey, this is the way how you apply for your holiday. And after six months, he needs a holiday. He asks again. So why mm -hmm. you don't make a video about this process? And when he have this question, you he can have a look on it and don't disturb me on my job. So this was one of the uh, tipping points, let's say. Another one was that uh, ePlan generates a lot of drawing pages automatically. You have a PLC overview, you have terminal stripe overview, you have uh, cable overviews and so on. And my PLC programmer or my commissioners doesn't understand it. So they always make the red linings on pages which were automatically generated. And when I go through the, the red lining drawings from the commissioning, I never open these pages because they were automatic generated. I was not interested in. I just checked the, let's say, the manual pages. And so my idea was to explain them how ePlan works. So they, don't the understand was, the, they don't understand the drawings that were generated automatically or they don't understand like the penalty? What's the, so what's say, the issue? The, the commissioners are mainly PLC programmers. Right. So you have a PLC overview where you can show all IOs uh, on a card. And there is also the function text, the, the symbolic address, the real address. And when they change something, they use this page for the redlining. But this page is automatically generated. The IOs are on the drawing, on the multi-line drawings. And this page was automatically generated from ePlan. So I never checked this page. Okay. Because for me, it was ah, automatically yes. generated. But they always make the redlining on this page. And I explain them, hey, I don't check this page. It's automatically generated. Please make the redlining on the multi-line drawing, where really you showed, I show the motor with the feedback signal and so on. Yeah, this was what I tried to explain them. And the idea was that we go to a restaurant or something, and I make a two-hour training for them to explain a little bit how ePlan works. And then comes okay. this crazy virus yeah everything was uh, closed we can't get a restaurant most people was not in the office anymore and i thought this problem i think have more people than just me Interesting. and this was okay, the, yeah. the, the next tipping point where i started to record uh 
the videos of ePlan, how something works in ePlan. And this was yeah, the, birth, the birthday of my German channel, ePlan Kurz Erklärt. Beside all of this, I also was interested in how build a brand, um, mm -hmm. how YouTube works and so on. So I not I, I didn't want to start with a video quick and dirty and put it on YouTube. So I started to create a logo. Eplan Kurz erklärt what it means Eplan in a nutshell is also, I think, a good channel name for this. So I make a little bit more thoughts about this personal branding and so on. And then I started to upload the first video on YouTube and I saw that definitely more people had this problem because more people clicked on these videos. And since three and a half year, I publish every Monday one video or sometimes two videos a week. So on my German channel, I have over 200 videos now on the English channel, close to 70 and on the Chinese channel, I think 50 or something like this. Yeah, this was the idea behind this uh, channel. No, in interesting. I, I, I love that and I, I love that story. So I, I would imagine because you now you've gone from one channel to three channels and you have created almost 300 videos in different languages that you have had lots of positive feedback and this is a good use of your time and you're excited to continue this into the future. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's still growing. So I can see that, yeah, people are still interested. For sure, I started with the German channel because this is my native language and it's a little bit harder for me to make videos in English. And also the user interface of ePlan, you need to change. You cannot show an English video with a German UI that makes no sense. But yeah, I'm still more nervous when I yeah record uh, English videos than <laughs> the German videos. But there were so many people who asked, hey, can you do English uh, um, videos as well? Please make English videos because the automatic generated subtitles on YouTube not working very well, especially because I come out of a small village where we have some slang, what is hard to translate for YouTube. So yeah, this was the next step that I started also the English channel. And then I was on commissioning with my Chinese colleagues in Korea for a revamping project. We worked there together and yeah, in the night we were in the hotel nothing to do. So I asked my Chinese colleague, can you open up a Billy account for me? Because it's nearly impossible for a European guy to open up a Billy account. Say, so ask you about 100 questions about Chinese culture. So <laughs> it's, it's quite difficult and everything in Chinese characters. So it's nearly impossible. And he opened up for me the Billy account. And since that, I basically upload the English uh, the videos okay. as well. Sometimes I try to speak a little bit Chinese on the beginning to make them laughing about me. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that's all. Uh, basically, it's the, the English channel. Hi, let me ask you like a follow-up to that to that question. So when you teach, I want to say ePlan in general, like panel building or I want to say design, do you find that people are struggling to understand the tool which is ePlan or are they struggling to understand maybe the standards? And ultimately, like how do you figure out what makes sense to teach the the designers more? And what I mean is even like in the PLC world, you could argue some people struggle, let's call it like RS Logics or TIA Portal 5000, uh, RS Logics 5000 or TIA Portal versus just the general PLC concepts. And I ask myself that question as well because the concepts are agnostic of the platform, 
But then the platforms are important to understand for like a specific employer. So what are your thoughts on that side? Mm. Yeah, first of all, ePlan is not quite easy to learn. So this is a really powerful tool and it, it's not a painting tool or you it's not an like AutoCAD. Yeah, you don't make just uh, some lines. It is a data driven engineering tool. So this is little bit difficult to, to learn. And this is what I find out on my videos. For the topics of my videos, I make also research on Google Analytics, keyword research and so on to, to see what people ask on Google. Um, for electrical design, it's also quite difficult. When you are in Europe, you can follow the European standards. The problem is the European standards are not free of charge. You need to chart them. So you pay a lot of money to, to read st the standards. And on the end, maybe you will not understand any word. So <laughs> that's also a little bit difficult. But yeah, I also don't know exactly. So more and more people retire who have learned this job really, or have a lot of experience. Um, and the younger people, yeah, I think someone needs to write a book about this or it needs to be teach more in the universities or yeah, other education platforms. Where I find out is just practice. I work now for over 20 years because, uh, I, as I told you, I never was in the university, but I did something on an evening event over four years. This is called a state certified technician in industrial automation. This was four years uh, in the evening and on Saturday. That means for, for this four years, I also had the experience on my job because on the day I was on work and on the evening I was in the school for my education. Yeah, I really see a big problem in this to to share the knowledge. And yeah, I get a lot of questions on LinkedIn or on Discord. Also, we discuss sometimes the basic designs. There are so many different methods in the world. And this is the next problem that not each country has the same standards or regions. And yeah, there needs to be also a development in electrical design, in my opinion. Because the old way to make multi-line drawings and so on, maybe we need to overthink about this if this is really necessary. Because nowadays, uh, let, let's say the truth, what happened with an electrical panel, you have a main switch and then all IOs comes to the PLC. Yeah? You don't need this complicated circuits like in the past, hardware circuits and so on. Yes, you need to drive the motor, but yeah, this is also the logic behind is done in the PLC. So maybe there will be some development in the future, but until now you have to follow the standards in your country. That's all. I was going to ask you about that. So in Europe, you said the standards are different between countries. Are, are they still pretty close? I'm assuming like US and Canada, or is it uh, fairly different and you need to know them really well to design patterns? Um, no, in, in Europe, the, 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 the standards are, are, are the same, the basic standards, but it is possible that each country add something to the standard and from the history, when you work in, in, in France, for example, they have another po uh, point of view on a control panel. They want to have other tech numbers or they focus more on connection tech numbers as we in Germany. And when you have a look in Italy, maybe they are also a little bit different, but how to design and how to build a panel there, the basic standards are the same in the US. In, in Europe, yeah. Gotcha. Hey, what are your thoughts? 
think it's interesting. I think that you probably, we, we have certainly talked to people that have worked in different areas with these NEC and these other electrical codes. I, I think you Kai, probably have extended the vast majority of the world and therefore have somehow managed to, to understand more of these codes than I think anyone else that we've spoken to it. So I, I think that is certainly interesting. I do want to transition this in, into some of the, the trade show conversation that we promised everyone that, that we would have. And right, Kai and I first met at Hanover Fair, and then we saw each other very briefly, and then we saw each other very briefly at the SPS. I think in part because Kai might be the busiest man there. He had, you were down to 15 or 30 minute block increments. But Kai, I guess from your perspective, for our viewers, would you tell kind of everyone your experiences going to these major trade fairs in Germany? Because I know that you've been going for many years, correct? Yes, I think for the Hannover Messe and the SPS in Nuremberg, I think I go there nearly since 15 years or something. I try to visit as a minimum once of both. And in the past, the Hannover Messe was always the main fair in Germany, the biggest fair for industry and industrial automation. And all the companies developed their new products to the time of the Hannover Messe. So everything was published mm -hmm. first time at the Hannover Messe. In my opinion, it changed a little bit. So the SPS Messe in SPS Fair in Nuremberg becomes more and more popular, especially this is more focused on industrial automation. As you have seen, the Hannover Messe is a really big area. You can walk the whole day and have not seen everything, but there is a lot of different industries. It's not mm -hmm. only industrial automation, it's really an industrial fair. You have yes. seen halls full of Asia productors for some, mm -hmm. I don't know, plastic stuff. <laughs> I have no idea what it is for. You have energy sectors. You always have a guest land, a guest country. I think mm -hmm. it was Indonesia uh, mm -hmm. this year and next year it will be Norway, which mm -hmm. can present the, their own country and the industry there. And you have wind power, solar power, all this stuff. You have big transformer stations, what you need for energy distribution and a lot of more industries. So this is the Hannover Messe. And when you want to go there, you need definitely more than one day. Absolutely. And you need to book the hotel early enough, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 I think if I may, for anyone looking to go to a European or especially large German show for the first time, book your hotel as, as soon as possible. Book it three months or, or six months or a year in advance yes. because th those are your maybe only opportunities to get a block of hotel rooms and to get a good rate for the hotels because th they book up quickly. I going over to Hanover the first time had people, everyone I told I was going over asked, the first thing they asked Kai was, have you booked a hotel room yet? Or I hope you've booked a hotel room because if you haven't, you're going to struggle. Exactly. Yeah, this is because these fairs, especially the Hannover Fair, is, I think, very well known internationally. So the uh, yeah, all the well-known European brands from industrial automation also bring their international customers to the Hannover Fair. And Hannover is just, let's say, a small city. So the hotels are limited. And maybe you know someone on Airbnb or something like this. You can try this or yeah, otherwise you need to sleep in your car. Or you need to drive 
drive minimum one hour out of Hannover yep. to get a hotel room with a fair price. Yeah, but this is uh, the reason why everybody asks you, have you booked your hotel? Absolutely. I guess I've if, if been... I... Go ahead, Dave, go ahead. I was going to say, I just want to make some comments similar to Kai's comments about the Hanover Fair, is that I think Kai made a really good comment about how it is very thought leadership focused. I, coming from America, from North America, have always considered it like our American football Super Bowl or the World Cup of anyone who has, anyone who is a large organization is going to be there. And every day is going to be, you know, full of announcements and press releases. And I guess I was surprised because I was reading the press releases online as I was walking through the halls and I didn't see as many of the kind of in-person announcements. And I don't know what that would look like, but I didn't see like lots of big events within the, the large event itself. And so all of the hyperscalers, your Google, your Amazon, your AWS, all of them are there. Microsoft is there, Dell is there. They all have, I don't know, two or 3,000 square foot booths. A thousand square meters is not an uncommon size booth that we see within these halls, which is much larger than uh, it, it, the size of any of these fairgrounds are just physically much larger than anywhere that, that I have been to in North America. As Kai and I have discussed a couple of times, the North American area just doesn't have the the buildings in order to host events this large. Yeah, especially the area from the Hannover Mess is really huge. Yeah, when you have a uh, when you plan to go there and you should make you a schedule and write down okay, I want to visit this company. This is in hall mm -hmm. XYZ and on the booth number this and I want to go to this company and this hall. So you should really make you a schedule otherwise you you will not find every booth and it's yeah it's just massive area so, yeah. i guess i was gonna maybe revisit a bit that whole point of thought leadership right because i've not been to hanover messe this year for a number of reasons into which we're not going to get into but I, I guess the expectation for the audience right is it's still a technical audience that goes to both trade shows but are you expected to get maybe like a different format is there less technical demos at Hanover Messes, they're more presentation style uh, conversations. What does that like actually mean when you say it's more of a thought leadership uh, conference versus SPS is a more technical one? Yeah, in my opinion, when you go to Hanover and you search for some parts or something, you are in the purchasing department or you are a machine builder and you want to check if there are some cheaper parts available or some better parts or something like this. Hannover Messe is definitely quite good because you have a wide range of products there. If you want to make selfies with CEOs, also Hannover Messe, I think, <laughs> is, a, is a good place. But when you really want to dive deep into technical stuff, especially in industrial automation, robotics, and so on, yeah. you should go to the SPS in Nuremberg. This is the more technical and more focused. It's definitely just industrial automation there. You, you will not find some plastic stuff there. <laughs> yeah, if, if I may add to that, I, I would say at the Hanover show, I think we see lots of executives. I, I think it is very much 
We're going to go share new thoughts. We're going to go share new concepts. And, and as Kai said, it's not just your industrial automation, right? I, I mentioned the hyperscalers being there, but you also have entire halls of machine parts and entire halls of injection molding and entire halls of small mechanical items. So th their quantity wise is more. And I, fr from my perception of walking a number of the halls at at the Hanover Fair is that lots of people are trying to draw you in with short kind of 10 to 20 minute presentations. And it's very possible that you could walk by 50 or 100 presentations going on and just rotating over and over again, trying to go capture people's basically thought leadership, right? We don't get into super technical details. From my experience, there are some super technical engineers who will be at the, the Hanover Fair. And if you can go find them, you can go ask them these questions. But but to Kai's point, at the SPS, it is very much the vast majority of people that I think we met there were fairly technical or fairly technical engineers. In, in fact, I was surprised at how technical many of the demonstrations were at SPS, where you could go get five layers deep and it would still have strong structural engineering. Whereas Hanover is, hey, this is the vision we have. These are the connectors that we're building. This is our hyperscale scale stack. These are uh, more grandiose, more, more large, if you will. But to Kai's point, I think that it is, they, they are different shows and they have different kind of groups of people coming into coming in to go have those conversations. Gotcha. And I guess I'm looking at the websites on the second monitor, right? And I think Hanover has a much broader list of topics. Like I'm seeing embedded systems, I'm seeing cloud. So I'm, I'm assuming that's why those maybe providers that you obviously are tied to manufacturing, but I want to say like loose, loosely tied to manufacturing are also there versus SPS, I think was pretty much like OEMs very focused on the process and manufacturing side. So I think that definitely makes sense. Yes. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I guess, Kai, to, to, to talk about the shows one more time, when I have talked to people who have gone to the Hanover Fair for 20 plus years, they have said that it was a, a pretty good turnout this year. And again, it was huge comparative to most of the North America or all of the North American shows, but 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was even larger. So the early Hanover fairs that, that you went to, were they much larger? Was it, were there more people and more booths and even potentially more excitement that, than we saw this year in 2023? Yes, both fairs have the problems that say, even this year, don't reach the number of visitors like pre-corona, pre-COVID, yep. before COVID, more people visit such such fairs. Yep. And yeah, you, you saw the Hanover area. There are still completely holes which are empty, not booked. Mm -hmm. Also this year on SPS, some halls were not occupied with some some companies who booked their mm -hmm. booths. So yeah, there was, before COVID-19, there was definitely more visitors on such booths, on such fairs. But it yeah, comes slowly back. I think people during COVID, people become more familiar with online fairs uh, mm -hmm. and yep. stuff like this. 
But yeah, you get the feeling that people want to meet each other in real. Um, you have definitely better discussions when you are at the booth and you can touch the product. You can discuss with the right guy. And this is a little bit easier on such a fair than when you participate on an online fair. You build not really a relationship. Absolutely. I would agree. And I would say that with the, the pandemic, I think that there are the positives of we see much more of the information going online and we see more people are, are willing and able to go online and find that information. But I would also say that there are benefits of being in person and doing things in person. And while there are fewer people at some of these shows, I personally find that, how do I want to say, I, I personally find that the connections and conversations you get to have are with a smaller number of the correct people, right? Um, so you get to have Kai and I and Vlad get to have a three and a half minute conversation or a 10 minute conversation today versus a two minute conversation three or four years ago, because there are just so many other people. And so I would agree with that. And from my perspective, I think there is the opportunity to go take many of the much of the excitement and many of the learnings that we have from these shows and go find ways to make sure that people are continuing to talk about it in the, the following two and three months. What I found before is that we have this show, the show is great, maybe some people make a couple of videos or something about it, and then two weeks later, no one talks about it, right? Two, two weeks later, it's that was fun last year, maybe we'll go back again next year and try to learn some things. And if I can add to that, Kaya, so I watched your back off video before before the podcast, right? And I think the point to reiterate what Dave is saying is, let's say if I'm not looking for a drive system, I probably would not have went to that booth, right? And if I see a video by you that summarizes maybe interesting innovation when it comes to that specific drive system, I think that's pretty neat. And it offers an opportunity. If I do have a project, let's say in three months, I can go back and because I remember I saw the video, but I don't remember all the specifics of it. Then I can just go back to that information versus if I was at the trade show, I probably would have looked at that booth, thought it was pretty neat, but I would not have taken necessarily the time at the show to fully investigate it. So I, I think there's an opportunity also in not necessarily just having a pure in-person event, but also creating some content that, that then can be referenced into the future, right? Like you were saying also about the trainings that can happen in a very short period of time, but then you only have that project in three to six months and it becomes difficult to, to remember what the information was. Yeah, this is what more and more companies on the fairs did. I saw that many companies had video producers on their booths and the video I did with Beckhoff together is published on my YouTube channels and my Billy channel but also on the back of TV, so on the back of YouTube channel, and maybe it's also available somewhere on the website. I don't know. So you can see that yeah, more and more companies find out that this is a great, great idea or a, a great possibility to make a video on such a booth with all these feelings. So you have people walking around. It's not this typical marketing stuff, not this high glory 
yeah, video. So you have a little bit quick and dirty video from an affair is much better and maybe better explained and is better in, in mind of the viewers than these high-end marketing videos. So I also like uh, really much the conversations uh, on a fair and when someone make a video about this, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's more. Real. And, and I would say again to that same point, Kai, I, I think that the reality is that not everyone can attend these shows, right? I, I think I've, I've not looked at the numbers, but I would assume it's a small percentage of let's call it factory engineers, designers, technicians who maybe not necessarily have the purchasing power for a lot of that equipment, but ultimately are to some extent decision makers and need to understand what's new in the field in order to propose those solutions to their managers. So again, creating, I think, content that goes beyond just the in-person event, I think is extremely important. I will certainly be paying attention to other things you will release on your channel. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, tried to make a few short videos about some products they are not ready produced but it, it will come soon yeah i try to on ePlan in a nutshell i try to make the long videos mainly about technical stuff and ePlan, but the short videos are also some tools or some yeah things for panel builders so i try to mix up a little bit on this channel but how you guys Absolutely. from the US, how you guys from the US get information about new stuff? As I told you in the past, all companies focus their development to the Hannover Messe. So mm -hmm. on Hannover Fair, you could go there and you saw hundreds of new products or systems or software tools or whatever. Uh, you can go stay there for three days and then you get an overview of what will happen in the next year or maybe five years. How you do it in the U.S. when you don't have such great I can maybe jump into that first and let Dave comment right after. So I guess speaking from having worked as a plant engineer, I think it's very difficult to, I guess, get approval from your managers to go out to a week-long trade shows. So I think like the main source of information, at least for me, has always been local distributors, right? So the distributor would have typically very, I want to say like narrow focus, depending on the product lines they carry. And they would come in and they would demo different products that have been, I want to say like different than what you have at the facility and explain like why you should upgrade to this new PLC or new drive or VFD and what have you. So you rely a lot on the knowledge that the distributors get from the OEMs and are knowledgeable enough to demonstrate the product. And then there's always, I want to say, like exchanges of information, obviously through the trade shows, but more specifically, when you have a, a requirement, for example, for packaging equipment, then you have a trade show that's specific for packaging. And then you're sent there to really evaluate what are the options for the equipment that you need. So it's a little bit, I want to say, different than SPS. And from what I understand, Hanover to be, because it's not OEMs at that point presenting the equipment. It's going to be more like here's the full package solution and this is what they can do in order to package the, I want to say the finished good. And you as the technical expert, you just assess how is it going to integrate into your production line, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I was trying to say that Keegan in, in the comments was saying how both Hanover at Mesa and, and SPS are, are huge shows and you absolutely need more than one day in order to go spend those kind of different th than the North American shows. So 
thank you to that, Keegan. I will also say, guys, what we're struggling to get some of the chat to come through on this side. We are watching it on the LinkedIn side, so thank you, everyone. Uh, Kai, almost everyone in the comments are basically just saying Kai's videos are amazing. There are no questions, but we've got like a dozen or more comments basically complimenting you on the video. So I will say, if you guys are in chat, please feel free to go ahead and and go make those comments i only see vlad and my comments in chat I, I literally don't see anyone else's comments i, I know hank's there I, I can see a bunch of our, our normal folks and some folks out here to support kai so thank you guys for that T to go back to kai's question uh, on north american shows i think to some extent it's because the, the u.s or the u.s and canadian geography is so large that you can't just go take a train from Munich to Nuremberg or even Munich to like a Hanover in order to go to a show for a couple of days, right? So lots of shows, if they're centrally located, it, it's half a day of travel and then you're at the show for a day and then it's another half a day or a day travel. So it's a three or four or more day commitment, which to, to, for most facilities is basically I'm committing my person to be gone for a week. Are we going to get enough value? Are we going to find catastrophic downtime in order to while they're gone so what i find is that we don't see a lot of innovation coming from the kind of individual contributor technician level most of the time even if they, they come in with lots of very good ideas it's a and kai tell me if you've heard this before we've always done it this way so even though there are better ways to do it we're going to to stay working with the, the product or the solution that has done us or, or been okay for us for the last 10 or 20 or 30 years. So we don't see lots of necessarily innovation, or I guess very few groups that I work with have tons of innovation coming out from that lower individual contributor level. What I do see is that we've got some shows like the Rockwell's Automation Fair that does an okay job moving around. So historically, we'd see people from different geographic areas coming in for a day or a couple of days of that show. And then there are many smaller shows, right? And so sometimes the smaller shows are very regional. And so I see more people and more potential success coming in, going to speak with very specific groups, maybe on specific problems, or maybe they've worked with these groups in the past, but they're able to go to the show because the show is only an hour or a couple of hours of drive away and they can do everything in a day and then be back to work tomorrow. Hmm. At one point, maybe I know also from other countries from my daily job, Flat says that you need to get this information about new technology from the distributor. And this is maybe something what is really different in Germany because we buy the products directly from Siemens, for example. Okay. That means you have the direct contact to the sales guy and the sales guy can invite you to the Hannover Messe, for example, you will meet him at the booth. So we have a really good relationship and you get basically an invite. You don't need to pay for the ticket or something like this. I hope nobody pays for a ticket for an overmess or SPS fair. Yes. Uh, but you can purchase for it, but it's not necessary. Maybe this is also a difference because we buy most of the stuff directly and mm -hmm. we see all these companies on these fairs and we know the salesmen from Siemens. What means you when you buy from a distributor, you have no ideas who is really the salesman from Siemens. And if Siemens have a booth, he cannot contact you because he don't have any contact details from you, maybe. 
And maybe this could be also a difference because yeah, we in Germany know each other. Yeah. Yeah, there's pluses and minuses to to those, I want to say, like relationships, right? And I think that distributors are changing a lot where they're adding more, I want to say, like technical value nowadays than they used to. I think they realize that they cannot be just, let's say, like carrying the products and then like sending them over to the end users. So now they are developing more and more technical capability. But again, it depends on which region you're in and who's the the distributor yeah. but as you said yes you don't always get to get the connection to the oem and so that's why let's say in let's say in the us and canada it's important to try and go to these trade shows where you would have access like they've mentioned automation fair where you can get in touch with let's say the rockwell expert on drives who's been in that position for 30 years and knows the drive inside out versus the distributor will just be like on a high level and will be able to only inform you of the features that are let's say new or have come up in the recent years versus having that like deep expertise especially if you're doing something very advanced or very specific right yeah, but these experts don't have a budget to invite customers, right? <laughs> Only the sales guys have the budget to invite customers. <laughs> yes. Right. To, to some point. I, and then I, I would say to, to Vlad's point is, I think that it is, how do I, it very much depends upon the region you're in, right? So I've worked with a lot of really good distributors that have some of those people that have 10 or 20 or 30 years of experience on very specific products. What I have found is that in some cases, the large US OEMs or the large OEMs in the United States are pushing the need of some of that technical knowledge further into the, the distributors, right? And saying, this is your territory, you need to have X number of people on staff who have the knowledge in these areas. And I think to, to some extent, that is we just see lots of that knowledge and lots of that skill retiring in the united states where th there is no one to come in and say yes i'm going to spend the next 30 years of my life working on medium voltage vfds right in in the past th there would be people who have spent entire careers focused on, on very specific um areas and I think we are seeing less and less of that. And because we are, it is becoming more and more difficult to support region across the, the country or across the continent. So I think it's interesting as we continue to, to watch this shift across the sectors. And yes, I, I think it'll be interesting to watch this as, as we watch the shift across the sectors. I do wanna hit on a couple of US shows before we finish out so, so vlad we were at automate together i don't know if you have thoughts on automate maybe comparative to sps or comparative to some of the other shows that you've been to this year that is a good question i, I feel like we've um, only seen a small portion of sps so automate was i think there were a lot more different technologies right so we saw a lot of robotics we saw a lot mm -hmm. of autonomous robots we saw mm -hmm. i think more than just I want to say factory process automation, which I think mm -hmm. was the focus of SPS. So for me, that was the most noteworthy difference. But also, I guess the layout was a bit different. It was very standard and grid-like. So SPS, at least for me, was different. I don't know how it compares to Hanover Messi. I would assume it's very similar. But I like that format a bit 
better. That format as in like the way SPS is laid out where you have no. like large centers where you can almost have an entire vendor just occupy that whole space or just a couple of vendors. Because yep. it seems mm -hmm. a bit less, not necessarily, I guess the word is not intrusive, but less overwhelming, right? Because that automate is just like a massive grid and you get to the center and there's just a bunch of stuff happening. There's robots to your right. There's like conveyors to your left. There's something getting packaged like behind you. So there's just a lot going on all at once. So I like the SPS format uh, or layout better for that reason. I think you, you told me that the automate has uh, twice the size of the Siemens booth of the SPS, right? <laughs> uh, some, something like that. Yes. So yeah. I think the, the, the Siemens SPS booth was like almost 4,000 square meters, um, which would be what, like 15,000 square feet. 18,000 square feet, something like that. And I think some of the largest booths at, at Automate were like 200 square feet or, or 300 square feet. I think some of that is the size factors of the, the hall that we were in, right? No one can go have a thousand square feet by themselves. If they did, we would lose a bunch of people who have that opportunity to, to be there in, to be there in general. Oh. And there we are at, at the SPS with, with Kai wearing the TW Wizards hoodie. Kai always with the hoodies. I think we watched him change hoodies two or three times, depending upon the picture that, that we were taking. But no, I think that that was interesting. I guess from my perspective, some of my favorite shows, and I went to two or three or four of them this year, are, are much more kind of smaller regional shows where you might not get all of the, the large OEMs, the 300 people or the 500 people there, I'm going to be able to go have five to 10 really high quality conversations with about very kind of specific areas and topics. And so went to a couple of them. I went to Tulips, they call it Operations Calling. That was a fun event. It's the first time that I went there. Yeah, it was the first time that I went there. That was fun. And then they had a another one day event the following day called the Digital Factory, which was on the flip side, a much more executive event, very little demos, but it was basically a pop-up factory. And so that was a lot of fun. I guess, Kyle, let me ask you the question. Do you see mostly like very large events like the Hanover Mesa and the SPS, or do you also see some, some kind of smaller, very regional, we're going to have two to 500 people in this location events in Germany and in Europe. Yeah. Greetings to Johnny. <laughs> yeah. We have in Germany small fairs as well, as you uh, explained for packaging, we have a special mm -hmm. fair for packaging. We have a special fair for nearly everything for robotics, for cars, uh, for everything. We have specific fairs and especially for industrial automation, we have a fair, which is called all about automation. This sounds a little bit similar to the automate. All, all participates have a fixed size of a booth. So you can be Siemens or you can be a small system integrator. Your okay. booth size is the same. And this fair is in mainly smaller cities across Germany in different locations. I think maybe also in Switzerland and Austria. The whole year it goes to different different cities. And yeah, there are more local people and you can easily go through in one day or maybe a half day. What they make really very clever is that they say, give to the visitors currywurst for free. <laughs> so ah. you get free food. What is a magnet for many people? Yeah, this is a, a very 
yeah, become more and more popular. It is fair in Germany, all about automation. And this is a nice concept because you don't need to book a hotel. Uh, you have no traffic jam when you come to the fair and go from the fair back home. And uh, yeah, this becomes more and more popular. Good. Good. I, uh, Vlad, I don't know if you attended any small events or, or have any other thoughts on shows of this year. I certainly get invited to some small events, but I have not attended this year again due to some family reasons but maybe in 2024 we can find a couple of those and see if we can make that happen absolutely no i think that this has been fantastic kai thank you so much for, for letting us ask you the questions here as all of our longtime listeners know we ask all of our guests the, the same question in the end and the first one is one of my favorite right so I want to go ask people to, to go predict the, the future. And Kai, I would like to get your thoughts on, on what the future looks like. And it could be automation or manufacturing broadly, or it could be more what you're doing with ePlan and ePlan in a nutshell professionally. But where do you see the future of our industry going in the next three to five years? Yeah, specific for ePlan, I hope that they develop something like the Microsoft Copilot mm -hmm. <laughs> for ePlan. Uh, I hope they will implement something like this. Yeah, for panel building, you can see on the SPS and the Hannover Fair already that more and more things comes to automated processing because we already work on a digital twin, especially with ePlan. You can build a digital twin of your control panel and out of this di digital twin, you can export a lot of data for your drilling machine to drill the mounting plate automatically for wire producing so that you get prefabricated wires because you need in the digital twin each connection point and the, the cable duct so you need uh, you where the wire goes through so you know the lengths and you saw on the SPS now uh, Rital published the wiring robot I can check I think I have uh short video if we have some time oh no i just have the back of booth party sorry oh only, um, only but, the back off booth party yeah but, i feel but, like kai is contractually obligated with back off to just slip <laughs> that in there yeah, but here you can see for example a system which the rail assembler from whitemuller that's um, built you the your terminal stripe automatically so the data has come out of your digital twin, it knows the Dean rail size, it knows the length, it knows where you have to screw or to fix the Dean rail, and it automatically produces the the terminal stripe. So there need to nobody needs to make this job anymore. This can be automated 100%, and on the end you will see the result and uh, the complete terminal stripe. More and more things like this. Yeah, will be developed. You know, place and... like different components. So I, I guess I'm. So for those of us, first of all, who are listening, maybe in audio form only, we're watching a robot place on a DIN rail different terminals. But I guess my mm -hmm. question too, Kai, do you know if it currently can do, let's say, relays? Can it place like an IO block? Can it place anything beside? Or I guess, okay, now we're seeing kind of the side where it's placing the terminals only. But I'm assuming. It's going to get pretty complex um, and pretty advanced, right, as time goes on? Yeah, but we are just on the beginning, so I think it will be possible in the future. You can see that it can handle different size of terminal and different yep. products. Relays should be possible already because 
somewhere here I have an example of this and there are relays on. You can see that there are many products in the background. And when you fill in one with relays and you teach the system, I think it should be no problem to add relays. For PLC cards, maybe it's a little bit more complicated, but mm -hmm. yeah, this is not so much work to to mount or to assemble PLC than when you have 1.8 meter wide control panel and is full with a terminal stripe. So yeah. this can be automated and it works 24-7. So it can be... Yeah, here you see the relay. Have you seen a small relay? <laughs> yes. Um, no, I think that that's interesting. I One of the things I enjoyed seeing were very practical applications and, and use cases, right? Like we all love to see the robotic arm twirling a car above its head. But in very few of, of our lives, will that be very helpful? So going and seeing lots of practical applications such as that seem interesting. I don't know how many control panels one would have to build every year in order to, to make a robot and a robotic cell and all of those make sense. But maybe for a company like you work with, Kai, who that is what they do all day, every day, maybe something like that would make sense in the near future. Yeah. In, in Germany, we have the fact, I think, that we have about 6,000 panel builders, companies. Okay. But most of them have 1 to 10 employees. Wow. Yeah. 1 to 10 employees. And that's the problem. So when you have just to build one panel a month or maybe a bigger project mm. a month, it makes no sense to invest in such yes. um, products. But when you have a grow mindset, maybe you should uh, invest in something like this because... Yeah, it saves a lot of time. In the in the future, you will not get any people who will build a panel. And especially when you find some expert who will is willing to build a panel, he want to wire maybe, but he definitely want don't want to make the whole day click for the terminal stripe. So this needs to be yep. automated. You had mentioned something about a, a wiring robot. Is that wiring like between terminals or what was the Rital wiring robot? Yeah, the Rital wiring robot can basically do do everything, not only terminals, but therefore you need products which are ready to robot. I don't know if you know the push X from Phoenix Contact. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a terminal you can just push in your wire and then it makes right. click. Mm -hmm. So you don't need any tools anymore. This can be done by yep. a robot. And uh, Rita shows a robot which wires um, yeah, different stuff on a mounting plate. The point is that you have just one robot arm, so you don't need a second one for tools. So you have always okay. the wrong screwdriver. So when you build a panel, <laughs> you have always the wrong screwdriver for your terminal. This is with the push X or the snap in from White Müller. This is called ready to robot. I think with this oh, connection devices, you can build in the future with a robot, or you can wire the whole mounting plate with a robot. On the opposite side, what I saw on the SPS, oh, what's happened with this picture, it was the development from Siemens. They showed something like this already last year on the Hannover Fair. And maybe you can see here the small icon. This is called, is for wireless beside of the MCCB. So we talked about the robot, right? Which wires the mounting plate. Yep. But another development is that we don't need wires anymore. 
I'm wondering since a few years that not more companies develop something with Wi-Fi inside the panel. Don't need to be Wi-Fi, it can be Bluetooth or some other technology. And Siemens has now shown on the SPS the additional module here for their MCCBs. They have already this module for MCBs. That means you can connect now all MCCBs you have in a control panel and you don't need to wire the feedback signal to your PLC anymore. You have a wireless um, yeah, receiver and a sender here, and you can send these signals to a Profinet node or to a IO link device. And with this technology, you will save a lot of wires inside your control panels. Ha have a look on your uh, backplane flat. You see there are mostly just control cables or bus cables, but yep. <laughs> you don't have any power cables. So yeah. you, if we have a Wi-Fi solution, it would looks much cleaner. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is also something I saw that more and more will be automated in panel building, but maybe we don't need panels anymore in the future. This was, I don't want to start with Backoff again, but the AMX system is basically a control panel free solution. Um, so just in case nobody has seen it before. So this is the AMX system. And wow. uh, you can see on the left side, there is also a, a, a a part of a control panel with white, yellow, blue, and I don't know this lady color. And on the right side, you can see what is built with the MX system in the same parts without any control panel. So basically mm -hmm. the MX system has function modules, which includes all these basic functions you need in a control panel. You have drive, you have servos, you have energy distribution, you have motor starters, you have IOs, you have everything. But so it's so, on a machine like distribution. That's what they're like. It, it would be mounted essentially behind your like machine or behind. Yes, your exactly. You can divide your machine, let's say, in the front part and the back part, and you can build in the front part one MX system, and on the back part you can build another MX system. And when it's a bigger machine, you can also do it left and right. It's decentralized, and yeah. On the end, you don't need a control panel anymore when you use the back of MX system. Sure, it has also some borders limits, especially when we talk about the total current, when you have big motors, big drives, high voltage drive or something like this, the, the MX system is not the right one. But yeah, these are another development. So automated processing for panel building, delete, delete the, the necessary of a control panel. And uh, yeah, this is basically what I saw for my main focus on panel building, the electrical design. Also for electrical design, when you have the MX system, it's just drag and drop. You have a module, drag it to your page, the next module, and you can add some sensors and actors, whatever. Also the design of such a system will be much more quicker than the design on the control panel you see on the side. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what the cost trade-off is, right? Because I think these solutions, at least from what I've seen in the field, make sense for maybe smaller machines. But as you expand that to many blocks, they become more expensive than 
having a separate panel. But again, maybe the prices have gone down and they've made them significantly better. So I, I don't know for sure. Yeah, the problem is when you will not have in the future someone who is able to make a drawing and you will not have somebody who is able to build a panel. And this mm -hmm. is just <laughs> drag and drop. And here you can see it's, yeah, click and it's finished. Maybe this is also one, one problem we have in the future with our labor shortage. Interesting. I like that guy. I'm not, I wasn't a hundred percent sure what, where you were going to go take, take the future question, but I think it's certainly something interesting as I know, you know, and any of our first time listeners who are still hanging out with us will know if they go back and look at the previous episodes, we don't spend a ton of time talking about panel building or with panel builders. We've had Tim Wilborn on the show a couple of times, but th that is not a core competency of Vlad and I. And so it's not really something that we've delved into as to will we lose as a civilization the understanding and ability to go build a panel? And if we are, how do we go do our best to make sure that we can have robots or less skilled people able to go and build those panels into the future? So very different technology than I think either Vlad or I saw at SPS, but very interesting technology nonetheless. We, we do have another question for you, Kai, as we ask all of our guests for a book recommendation. And I know you have one or maybe two large stacks of books that, that you have for a recommendation. Would you be willing to share those? Yeah, we talked the whole night now about our job. And I know we just go to work because we like our job, we, but we have also another thing that we get paid for this and i yeah really I, i'm really sad that some people earn really a lot of money but they don't have any money and other people have not so much money but they know how it works i also learned a little bit about this and this is my first recommendation when you get paid for your job don't waste it and don't think on the beginning when you get your salary what can i buy for this so think about what can the money do for me so my first recommendation, I think most people know this, is Rich Dad Poor Dad from Robert mm -hmm. Kiyosaki. Yeah, this is a basic, basic book for financial understanding. I think, yeah, many people should, um, yeah, look on the financial understandments and know how the money works, especially how money works for you instead of you work for money. I this think that is a great recommendation. I. But I don't necessarily remember Rich Dad Poor Dad being a recommendation in the past. Do you? I don't think so. I don't think so. But I would say like it's an important skill, as as like Kai has mentioned, that I don't think is taught enough to, I want to say, at least technicians and engineers that I've worked with. So it, it certainly is something that I would prioritize as you uh, start your career. Agreed. Yes. Second book is, it's available in English as well. In English, it's called Thinking Fast and Slow from Daniel Kahneman. It's a little bit difficult for me to explain what this book is about, but this is about economics and how your brain work with informations. This is a really interesting book when you have conversations with salespeople or when you talk about tenders uh, with your customer and so on. This is really good for understanding also how the internet information works. You can really get out a lot of this um, from this book. I really can recommend every everybody this book to read. It's not something for the weekend. It's really neat, maybe a holiday Agreed. week. 
but this is really a recommendation and uh, yeah this guy also got the Nobel Prize for economy mm -hmm. I've read it I, a very long time ago Kai I, if I remember my takeaway from that book was that it also helps you with kind of understanding how people think and process decisions yes so I think exactly. it makes you a better like negotiator in a way especially if you have let's say a boss and you even something as trivial you present to him the idea of me going to a trade show how do exactly. you position that in a way that he thinks about it differently so yeah exactly exactly so it's, it's I, really I would agree with that i was gonna say i listened to a really good daniel kenneman interview i think it was on the freakonomics radio podcast a bunch of years ago so i thought that was it was very interesting that that was of course in english for all of our now german listeners who are up su super late for us today but no, I, I thought that it was interesting. For me, it's a very difficult book to read. I, I sat down to try to read it a bunch of times. I, I don't remember how far I got. I can tell you, I didn't get all the way through any of those times. It's just very, I would call it dense, almost like a, a textbook to attempt to uh, to go sit down and read. If you need something to go put you to sleep at night, that might be the book. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not something you can read when you do something else. So it's not. Yes, uh, agree. Really, it's yeah, and you should not try to to read it in one go within two days. Yeah, but I'm a technical guy, so I also think I should recommend some technical books. When we talked about fairs, you sometimes have the possibility to get some smaller books from the manufacturers or from the OEMs. I have a lot of these small books about panel building but one big book is from Siemens this one it's called Schalten Schützen Verteilen in Niederspannungsnetzen <laughs> it's a German book but it's also available in English I'm not sure about the title in English I think we try to find the download link because I know that this book is now available in English and German free for download on the Siemens website this is really good for yeah for electrical designer when you want to start with that or even for experienced people to get a basic knowledge about how to select the right mccbs and bus bars and so on how to do calculation on this this is the right book for this i found a hardcover of it on amazon but if you can update us with with the link from siemens sky after the show we'll make sure to put it in the comments for those who are yeah yeah no, perfect. Uh, th thank you for all of those, Kai. I, I feel like you span the range of almost every type of book we we, pop, we, we generally get. We, we do want to go ask you for some career advice. And as we talked about early on, you have a fairly unique, at least to our mostly North American crowd, of going into the, the military at, at 16 to become an electrical person and then going and taking that and building your career from there. So we'd like to ask you for some career advice, perhaps to the younger audience. Would you suggest an apprenticeship? What is the best career advice you have for people? Yeah, what, one thing what people should do is they should start with something. Don't mm -hmm. wait until you get the right job because you never know if this is the right job. As I told, my basic idea was to go to the army. I never was basically at the army on the end. I never was there. I want to become a furniture builder. I never did this job. 
So yep. I'm now an electrician. So anyhow, when you have an idea about, hey, this could be interesting, start and check out. Do it. Try to find a company. Maybe yeah, you need to, I don't know the English word, make one or two weeks for free to check if this is something for you. Yeah, on the end, as I told, I never visit a university, <laughs> not for be a person there. So I did an apprenticeship and then I did additional education beside my job. That means I started very early. So I don't waste too much time at school. Yeah, so I have no high school graduation. They saved me three years in Germany. I don't was at university. It saved me another six, uh, three years or four years. So in total, I saved six to seven years without doing this, mm -hmm. get experience on my job. And I did everything. I built a panel. I did programming. I did electrical design. Although there, try out what is your passion, what do you like most. And if you have the opportunity on the beginning of your career to work for a small system integrator, I guess you should do this because you never can learn more than on small system integrators and a various um, range of projects. I think that that is fantastic, fantastic advice overall. I would say to, to my understanding in the United States, it is not allowed for someone to go work for, for no money for a couple of weeks in order to go try out a job. It might be in other places in the United States that that is not allowed. But but beyond that, I think it's good. I think we've had lots of people make similar suggestions. And I really like the start trying things now. You might not know it's the thing you want to do until that you are in it. Kai, who almost was the woodworker, is now our e-plan and an e-plan in a nutshell guy. So thank you so much for that, Kai. Last question to you is how can our listeners help you? One, we want them to go and go and subscribe to ePlan in a nutshell and ePlan in a nutshell in German. I'm not even going to attempt to, to pronounce that. And if we have anyone listening over in Asia to go subscribe to the Billy channel. But, but beyond that, how can our listeners help you, Kai? Um, yeah, it's a little bit harder. I try to find my, my, my way by myself. <laughs> So <laughs> this is the first thing. Um, for sure, you can support my YouTube channels and so on. Uh, you can um, follow me on LinkedIn. If you need an electrical drawing, you can also contact me because I have on Discord a wide range of service provider. Maybe okay. I can help with that. Also, panel builders are there. Yeah, I, I never was on a trade show in the US. So if somebody wants to invite me for this... <laughs> I'm all, always open for different trade shows. I like to travel around the world. Um, I also need some sponsors maybe on my channels. This is always hard as, as a content creator to find some people who want to sponsor some episodes. Um, yeah, and when you really want to help make the world a better place and help each other and be fair, and uh, that's okay. That's enough. <laughs> Absolutely. Kai, thank you so much for, for coming and talking with us. Uh, I love the background. I loved your thoughts in our conversation about trade shows of 2023. I am looking forward to coming back and seeing you and maybe making it to this back off party that, uh, that, that Kai is playing in the background for all of the folks listening in podcast form. Uh, the, the back off party is almost exclusively the place to be at, at any of these large German shows 
on the Tuesday or the Wednesday night, whatever night they are hosting the live event. If you guys have made it this far on LinkedIn, be sure to go follow Kai. Be sure to go subscribe to ePlan in a Nutshell and ePlan in a Nutshell in German on YouTube. I'm sure they're connected. I'm sure Kai will give us links in order to go do that. If you guys are not already following Vlad and myself in Manufacturing Hub, please go ahead and do that. If you guys have made it this far in podcast form, please go hit the like button and the follow button and the, the rate us five stars. Rate us five stars. Share it to all the folks in your network. When you guys do it, it, it helps us and it, it helps us continue to bring on awesome guests like Kai in order to continue these conversations. But until next time, we'll see everyone soon. Thank you.